Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. Psalm 40, have a seat. By the way, Please uh, turn your phones on silent, if you would. That would cut down some of the distractions. But keep your phone out, because we're going to be doing something while I'm teaching, and I'll let you know what that is in a minute. But we're going to take, not the whole psalm, because we'd be here till next week, but we're going to take verses 1 through 5. And what I'd like to do is to take those verses and break them down into four sections. The first section is called relationship. That's verse one. So for those of you taking notes, you can kind of break this down. In the first five verses, we're doing four main sections. Verse one is called relationship. Verse two, rescue. Verse three, response. And then verse 3 through 5, resolve. So relationship, rescue, response, and resolve. Now, within these four breakdowns, I can find seven steps of how God delivered David out of his situation, his pit of despair, his pit of fear, And we're going to look at those as we go through. Now, God can do anything he wants to do, how he wants to do it. But yet David writes this as one who has gone through this and watched the Lord help him. And so we're just going to take it as he says it. And by the way, this is a messianic psalm. A messianic psalm are those psalms that have a particular direct reference to the person and work of the coming Messiah, the son of David, Jesus Christ. Especially can be seen in verses 6 through 10 of this psalm. And that's quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, verses uh, 1 through 10. Direct reference to the Lord Jesus. There are 14 psalms that have a direct uh, quote in the New Testament as being messianic, referring to the life, suffering, death, and glorification of the Lord Jesus. 14 Psalms. But yet, as you look at Psalm 40, and you know that David went through this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we can also see how these things could apply to the Lord Jesus in his suffering and glorification. But yet, there is a a third application that you can look at as you read through Psalm 40, and that's your life situation and my life situation. Because we can get ourselves into pits of despair, sometimes because of what other people have done to us, or because we just made a choice that wasn't so smart. And we find ourselves in the midst of a septic tank. But there's a fourth application I want you to consider. Everything can be going swimmingly well on the outside, But inside is death. Inside is hollowness. 
Inside is filth and defilement, and you're just lost and no hope. People from the outside can say, you're doing quite well. You came out of poverty, and now look, you know, you're making six figures a year in the mid, in the mid six figures. Congratulations. But you're absolutely empty and without hope on the inside. What's wrong? Well, I want you to know that God understands your situation because this psalm clearly tells us that. And the Lord comes to us in the midst of our defilement. And he wants to meet us right there. He's not expecting us to clean up before he'll come to us. He comes to us in the midst of our defilement. How do I have a right to say that? Because that's what happened with the leper who came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. The leper came to him, and I'm sure the disciples backed away. But the leper came to Jesus and said, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And what did Jesus say? He said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And Jesus touched the leper, which in effect meant that he took the leprosy on himself. Our issues, our failures, our sins, our circumstance of life that we've got ourselves into, Jesus takes upon himself. He comes into the pit with us, but he wants relationship before there's rescue. And that's the title of our message. Relationship before rescue. I need to learn what God wants me to learn in the midst of my pit. Actually, when you read through the psalm, the whole psalm is in the past tense. David has gone through these things, and so he starts off in verse 1 in the past tense. Notice he, he starts off and he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. That's past tense. Not, I am waiting. Not, I will wait, but I waited so he's looking back, and, and as you read through the psalm, especially verses 6 through 10, these are things that he learned before he got rescued. So what does God want us to learn before the rescue takes place? I, I have to confess, we all like shortcuts. I like shortcuts. You know, the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. I learned that when I was a kid. And so we try to apply that spiritually. But spiritually, that's not true. The shortest distance between two points is whatever way the shepherd leads. And there could be a lot of diversions, a lot of detours, a lot of ups and downs, but every single place is something where you learn and get changed. God has taken us to heaven. You realize we're being prepared for heaven. We're not being prepared for retirement. But let's just clarify that right now. Because everything could completely collapse, just like 2020 has been interesting. But we're being prepared for heaven. And so we're going to talk about this psalm as it relates to us in our, in our situation as well as in our heart condition. So may the Lord open our hearts for that. So verse 1 is relationship. 
I waited patiently for the Lord. That was David's part. And all the rest here, step two, step three, step four, step five, and step six, is God's work. Because David could not help himself, just like you and I can't help ourselves when we're in the midst of those situations or when our heart is completely broken. I waited patiently. We're given exhortations throughout Scripture to trust the Lord, to obey the Lord, to release the timing of the requested deliverance into his hands. I think of Joseph in prison. Everything had been so unfair. His life was upside down. Nothing made sense. And there were these two servants of Pharaoh that got thrown in the clink. And, and David, uh, uh, um, Joseph was serving them. And he interpreted their dreams. And he begged them, please remember me to Pharaoh when you get out. Three days later, they both got out. Well, they forgot him. He'd been in, he'd been in Egypt now 11 years. And somebody forgot him. And he's in prison. Nobody cares. Maybe that's how you feel. Right now, those of you watching online, nobody, it seems like nobody cares. It seems like nobody has paid attention and you're stuck in the middle of that place. You can't get out if you wanted to. Well, I want to tell you, God understands and he knows your situation and he comes to where you are and he wants to meet you there. But you've got to open your arms to him instead of fighting him off because you're hurt. And by the way, that anger and frustration is, is a symptom. It's not the core issue. There's things deep down that are the core issue, and that's where God wants to work. Don't just cut off the branches. Get to the root of it. And that's what he wants to do, but it takes time. But I can't wait. I waited patiently for the Lord. I don't even like waiting for the UPS truck to get there with the stuff. Even it says, follow my delivery on the email. So I'm punching this. I'm going, where's that truck? Eventually it gets there in my neighborhood. And then I get a note saying, oh, we're sorry. The delivery is postponed until tomorrow. I'm just going, what? I don't wait patiently all the time. But in the Lord, there's no follow my delivery. It's just trust me. Trust me, let me do it my way and in my timing because I have a lot that I want to accomplish in you and through you. He's our foundation. That relationship with him is so important. It says, he inclined to me, verse 1. God took the time to bow down and pay attention to my situation. What is it that is in your mind right now that could make you have a sense that God actually knows what you're going through? Are you waiting, from, are you waiting for some kind of um, outward thing? But the Bible tells us that he inclines to us because he loves us. That's a, that's a supreme truth in the scripture. God loves us. And yet we think he doesn't love us because he hasn't gotten me out of this situation. And so we put conditions on God. 
But let the Lord do things his way. He has the ability to give us life and grace and peace in the midst of our pit. To say, Lord, whatever you want to do in your timing, I release my life to you. Some of you may be here today and you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You know all about it. Oh yeah, God exists and they had Jesus a good teacher and all. But you've never really surrendered your life to Christ. And you want him to rescue you. You want him to fix your life. You want him to, to um, get you out of the pit. But listen, listen to me. God wants you to get to know him. That's more important than getting out of your circumstance because if he just pulled it out of your circumstance, pulled you out of your circumstance, your life wouldn't be changed inside. That's what God cares about, the real you that looks out these windows. You know, the real you is inside here. You realize that. You're in this tent. And the older we get, the tent starts falling apart. The real us is inside. I'm like 35, really, inside. And then I look at the mirror, and I'm going, how did my dad get here? And the older you get, you know, the tent starts falling apart. The shingles drop off. The plumbing backs up. You know, it's a temporary dwelling. But the real us is inside here. God cares about the real you inside there. And he knows what you're going through inside. And he knows the issues. And he knows what's happened to you. And he knows all the injustice that took place. And, and now the repercussion in your life because of it. God understands that. Because that's what step two says. He heard my cry. The word heard means to hear with understanding. Not just to go, you know, I think I'm hearing some noise in the background. No, no. He hears with understanding. Not just the symptom, but the core issue. Why you are the way you are, but he knows what to do. More than any psychologist or psychiatrist, more than any drug can put it all together, God knows what to do with the likes of you and the likes of me. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing he even bothers. When I look at my life, he chased me down. God chased me down. He apprehended me. He boxed me in. He gave me faith by which to believe. That was 51 years ago. And he's still chasing me down. Because there's a work he wants to do in me. You know, before the flood, people used to live over 900 years. I'm not there yet. I don't want to be there yet. I don't even want to live to 100. I just want to go to be with the Lord, right? Sorry, I don't mean to be like depressing, but uh, I'm just processing things here. David wait, waited patiently for the Lord because he knew God would come through. And he inclined to me. He approached me. And he heard my cry. And he understood my situation. Do you dare to believe that? 
You have to. You come to believe it because of relationship with him. Because you get to know him and you find out he's really like that. That when we sing about the goodness of God, he really is good. He's not trying to be good with the likes of you. He is good. He can't help it. He is good. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. He's just. And he's a God of truth. That's who he is. Those are his attributes. And he wants to open my heart so that I'll be convinced of that, so I'll let him work. In any kind of a a marriage counseling, one of the things you have to look at are the expectations for one another. What are realistic and what are unrealistic? But consider this. Do you know God has expectations for you? Things he wants to do in your life that are good, that are right, that are life-giving, that are health-giving. Can we dare take all of our expectations that are so precious to us and, and put them in a basket and lay them at the foot of the cross and back away and say, God, I trust your expectations for me are better than my expectations that make sense to me. That's a scary prayer because what if it doesn't work? And that's where you have to come back to who is God and can I trust him? David said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. That's under the category of relationship. Steps one and two. Let's go further. By the way, one more thing about hearing your cry. I want you to look at this verse closely. Psalm 56, verse 8 in the New Living. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Do you believe that's true? Some of you have been in life situations that have caused you to cry until you could not cry anymore. I have experienced that in my own life. And it's pretty weird when you have wept and wept and wept. And then as you think about it, there's no more weeping. There's nothing left. You're just in a state of mourning. The Bible tells me that God keeps track of all my sorrows. The Bible tells me that he has collected all my tears in his bottle. Some of you have 50-gallon drums in heaven. You can't believe how can my body create so many tears. You have recorded each one in your book. That's an amazing truth. Put it on the dash of your car. But then think about others that are suffering and go to them with that truth. Comfort the afflicted. Let's continue on to verse 2, the rescue. 
Verse one, relationship. Verse two now, rescue. And this is where we have the next four steps. Verse one, step one and two. And now verse two, steps three, four, five, and six in this deliverance process. What's the third step? He brought me up out of a horrible pit. Notice who did it. It wasn't David. He didn't figure out how to get out of it. Sometimes we hide in things thinking we'll get, we'll get out of things and then we get trapped. And we didn't realize it was a, either a scam or it was something we didn't realize the repercussion and we are stuck, stuck, stuck. He brought me up out of a horrible pit. The word horrible is the English translation, translation for the Hebrew word that means to be noisy, tumultuous, the sound of rushing water, and the sound of the tumult of the enemy. It carries the idea of a very loud noise, so loud you can't think straight. You ever lose perspective in the midst of your trial? When it's just like everything is swimming in your mind and you're going, I, I can't stand this. This is not right. This is unfair. And there's nothing I can do about it. Man, you get all wound up. I've been there. We don't know how David got in this predicament. Maybe he went to try to hide in a cistern, which is a, a big empty um, area of the ground in, in the rock that you use to store water. Maybe he was hiding out from King Saul. But you know, sometimes it makes sense to you at first and then you step into it and you're over your head and you can't get out. Sounds like some life situations we can put ourselves in. Are you in a horrible pit right now? Maybe your life is going great, but inside you are in a horrible pit. Your life is empty, directionless. You don't know what to do. Well, God does. God knows what to do. But the first step is relationship, not rescue. And some of you need to surrender your life to Christ so that he takes control of your life. Not you're asking him, bless my efforts. No, you take control of my life. And I'll give you an opportunity at the end of our teaching here to make that step. And some of you have already surrendered your life to Christ, but you're fighting the good shepherd because you want things done your way because you think you're just so right. And God is saying, I can't bless that. It's not according to my plan. If you're in a horrible pit right now, I want you to take out your phone. We're not going to collect them. I'm just saying take them out. And I want you to text the prayer line of the church and tell them, you don't have to put your name on it, but tell them the pit that you're in so that you can have people praying for your situation. There's a group of uh, pastors and, and prayer team that really want to pray for your situation, but you got to let them know. And so the number that you text on your phone, and by the way, do it now during the service. How did my flashlight come on? I don't understand that. <laughs> oh, it's on me. Okay, i got to text mine. No. Okay, the number is 720-336-0897. Seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven, 
and just say, this is my situation I'm dealing with and I can't get out. I don't know what to do. So we can get people praying for you. So do that right now as I'm teaching. Don't be playing games. Just do the text. Plus, you'll have the number um, in your phone so that you can text other prayer requests when it comes up. Not only did God bring him out of the horrible pit, he brought him out of the, the miry clay. Uh, don't think just of mud here. Think of septic tank. This is um, something you don't want to fall into. Why would God bother to want to deal with me when I've made such a mess of my life and it stinks like a septic tank and I'm in the middle and I'm, I'm breathing through a straw and I'm underneath it all? Well, God has a plan to cleanse our life. He comes to us in the midst of our filth, but he doesn't want to leave us there because he has this amazing ability to heal us from all the filth, from all the defilement, from all of the, of the pictures that have been watched over the years that should never have been watched. God has that ability to cleanse us. He brought me up out of the miry clay. David writes this again in Psalm 69, verses 2 and 3. And he says, I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. That might describe your situation right now. But I want you to know the Lord hears your cry. He understands. He hears with understanding. Not just the symptom, but the core cause. And he has this unique ability to heal the core. Not just to take away the symptoms. The next step, the fifth step. He sets my feet upon a rock. He doesn't just rescue me and say, get out of here, kid. He, he lifts me up out of the miry clay and he sets me on a firm foundation. And that speaks to me of identity and security. I'm not slipping. My life isn't just a big, you know, slip slide away. And we know from the New Testament that rock is Christ. But some people want to set their feet upon their own reasonings, upon their own education, upon their own history, and not upon Jesus. You know how many self-help books there are out there? And you know what? You can get out of a situation through a self-help book, but you absolutely miss all that God wants to do through the trial. And afterwards, you boast how I've lifted yourself, how you lifted yourself up out of the situation my way, and then you write your own book. But what, what about God? What's he want to do in preparing you for heaven through the trial? You know, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Circle that word, life, 
in the Greek word zoe. I am life from heaven, different than just existing. And I want to give that life to you. So whether you're in the pit or out of the pit, there is a fullness of life that takes the pressure off of other people. John 3, 16 and 17. We've heard it so much, but let's consider it here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God really does want to help you. But the first step in being helped is relationship with him and with his son Jesus through faith in his son. 1 Peter 5.10 says this, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. Now who does it? He does it, not you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. Great, great scripture. The sixth step is he establishes my steps. Doesn't just put me on a firm foundation, the rock, but he gives me the way to go. He establishes my steps. But I want to tell you, God's will for your life is within the boundary of God's word, not outside that. It's called a narrow way. And the world looks at it, that's still restrictive. You guys are just under, you know, all kinds of uh, disciplines that are unnecessary. Wait a minute. The word of God is sure. When I was in Phoenix, I remember the, the time that a fellow came into my office, for, uh, you know, and he says, uh, Pastor Bob, you know, I, I finally found my true soulmate. Um, and, and the Lord gave me the okay to divorce my wife and really uh, get together with her because that's the one I was supposed to marry in the first place. And I'm, I mean, I mean, it just caught me off guard. And I'm thinking, did I really hear that? I mean, God, what did God say? He, says, he said it was all right. He said it was good. God created love, you know, and, and we love each other. And we've had a difficult time with you know, our marriage over these years. And, and I, I just know I married the wrong person, but this person is really the right one. I'm going, well, let me prophesy to you. The Lord says, you're in adultery. You need to repent. That's not God. God didn't tell you that. Your own desire told you that. And that's not God. You're making yourself God. Yeah, but God told me. No, he didn't. His word is very clear. I'm sorry. You're in sin, bro. You need to repent. We'll work out your marriage issues, you know, but you can't be doing that. Well, he didn't receive it. Nothing I can do. But the, but the establishing my steps, the way forward, once he pulls me out of the situation is, let me give you my plan for your life. Because I know who you are. I know what, sh what you're like. I know what's happened. And I know what I can do. I want you to take a look again at Jeremiah 29 verses 11 to 14 in the New Living Translation. And I want you to consider the wording. 
It says here in verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you. Now let's just stop right there. Do you know that's in the past tense? Which means God already knows what to do. He's not like, okay, you want me to help you? Let, let me think about that. Let me, let me see what I can come up with that you know, might help you. He's not like some you know, old doting grandfather and just coming up with some kind of program. God already knows the plans he has for you. Yes, he's speaking to Israel, but it's a principle of how God is with all of his people. I know the plans I have for you. And consider this, the plans are not just for this life. Do you know when you get to heaven, God has a plan for you that goes through eternity? I have a hard time with that. I can't comprehend that. God doesn't say, oh, we're glad that you're here. Let's check and see what's available. That's not like that. Because look closely at the verse. I know the plans, plural, I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Do I dare believe that right this second? Can I release my life right this second? In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I love this. I will end your captivity. Some of you are in captivity We would call them strongholds because of sins you have yielded to in your life over many years. And it has such a a stranglehold on you. Yes, it is a stronghold, but it's a captivity. Sure, you're a a believer now and, and so many things have dropped off, but this particular issue is like captivity. Well, what's the promise here? I will end your captivity, but it's gotta be my plans and not yours. Release your expectations of how it should go, when it should go, where it should go. And let the Lord do his expectations for you. Then there's life. Then while you're in the midst of the pit, as difficult it is, there's grace to endure the day. Because it's only good for the day. What's the response? And this is number seven, step seven. Verse three, he has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. When you come out of a trial and the Lord has shown you so many things, when it's all over, you go, praise the Lord. (laughs) I mean, and you're convinced it wasn't you, it was God. He's put a new song in my mouth. And maybe you're not a very good singer, but God is tone deaf. And so he just wants to hear the heart. Maybe other people are leaving the row that you're in because they're hearing you sing, but God hears you and he knows your heart. I love that. Now, let's finish out the song. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. 
Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Do you know part of the reason God wants to use you in your trial is so that you can minister to other people? You can take the lessons that you've learned and pass it on, just like David's doing right here. And by the way, as a grandpa, I'm speaking to you that are grandparents. And you've walked in the Lord for a while, and you know the stories how God has really rescued you, brought you through many times. Write those things down for the sake of your grandkids, as well as others, other children, the next generation that you're going to be meeting and interacting with. Because they need to hear those stories. My grandkids love to hear the stories when Mimi and Poppy have gotten in trouble. Because we tell them how God brought us out. I mean, there have been, been crazy things. Being stuck in a bus depot in Durham, North Carolina, 1972, in the middle of winter, with no money, five bucks is all we had. We couldn't get home to Richmond, Virginia. And just how the Lord worked step by step by step. Great stories, but man, it was tough going through it. Or losing, your, losing all your identity and your passport in Italy back in 2012. Canceling all your credit cards because you thought it was the right thing to do and then realizing there's no way for you to get any money. <laughs> and, you know, and how the Lord led you step by step. Many will see it in fear and trust in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And then verse 5, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God thinks about us more, num more numbers of times than there are grains of sand in the sea. Why? So we can let go thinking about ourselves. Nobody thinks about you more than you. It's just how it is. And when your spouse, you think your spouse is thinking about you, they're not. They're thinking about them. And they're thinking you should think about them. But so, so why does the Lord want us to know that? Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, you are still with me. Why is it important that I understand this? Because he wants me to let go of me. Can I just let go of me? and trust that God's going to take care of things so that I can be others-oriented and look around me and see other people as God sees them. It's not about you. It's about Him. So we've touched on a lot of things this morning. And, um, you know, there are times that even though you're trying to do right, you don't do right. Even though you're trying really hard to, to make a point and to bless somebody, it doesn't work. I mean, even the other day, I, sent, I decided after 50 years of marriage, I need to be writing my wife more love notes. And so I went on an app that was free, and um, I decided to send her a love note through email. 
this real nice one, got it all set up, sent it off to her, didn't tell her. So I'm waiting during the day. This was in the morning. I'm waiting in the day. I'm not hearing anything. And so finally in the afternoon, I said, um, did you happen to get an email from me? And she goes, no. Why? I said, no, just wondering. And I'm thinking, what's going on? I mean, I, I put the date right. And all of a sudden, before dinner, she goes, what's this? I'm thinking, what? And she says, what's this email? And I'm, I'm, thinking, well, I, I'm thinking how I sent it. But, you know, it was one of those apps with, um, you know, free ads because I didn't want to pay any money. <laughs> and so she says, uh, it says here, how to cleanse your bowels every morning. <laughs> and I said, I didn't send that. But it was the ad that came up. And then I thought, well, you know, if you really need that, maybe that helps. But, but you know, I mean, I mean, you can even try your best and everything doesn't work out. But I just want to guarantee you, with the Lord, if you give your life to him, he will take care of it. But it's his timing his road, his pathway, and his grace. Let's all stand right now as we close. It's going to take a step of faith for you to really believe God understands your pit of despair and he has the strategy on what to do. But it's relationship before rescue. And I just want to tell you, God is faithful. He's good, he's faithful, and he does things the right way. But that's where our surrender comes in. And so this morning, if God has spoken to your heart, it's time to just release your life to him. If this is your situation, I want you to follow me in prayer. Let's all bow our heads right now. And if this is your situation we've talked about today, just follow this prayer and make it yours. And say to him, God, I come to you today and I surrender my life to you. I don't want to be fighting with you. I'm so empty. I'm so frustrated. But I want to trust you. And I want to release my life to you. Would you meet me here in this pit? Would you put your arms around me and let me know you're here? I trust you. I believe on your son, Jesus. He died for my sins. And I believe, God, that you have a plan for my life. So rescue me from this pit. And let it be a testimony I can tell others about later. And I give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.